streaming now. So yeah. if you want to uh, hunt this down either on my page or on the Better Man page, you can share it to your to your following. So uh, if you if you need to do that you want now, to do that now? Right. yeah, let's do that now. Let's do that now so that we can get your your crew seeing it. Get some more eyes on it. Right, so I've got your personal page up. All good. All good, brother. Shared. Fantastic. Ryan, it's good to see you, my friend. How you doing? And you, mate. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's strange saying that given the week I've had, it's a bit of a, a bit of a roller coaster, but yeah, I feel hopeful, and I'm sure we're going to explore all of that during this podcast. Well, yeah, I think we'll come straight in, dude. I mean, like I say, uh, thanks for coming on, man. Like I say, I really respect you for doing this because I messaged you, I think it was about two weeks ago, and I said, uh, Ryan, do you want to come on the show? And you were like, yeah, that's cool. Um, but since then, quite a lot's happened, right? So um, it's kind of changed where this podcast is going to go, uh, and very bravely. With a lot of courage, uh, you said you still wanted to come on the podcast. So maybe for those listening, we should just yeah update on what the fuck has happened in the last week. And <laughs> let's start and let's go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's all a bit of a blur. It's a bit hazy, but I was sectioned at the start of the week. So it was a, a Monday, reached suicidal crisis. Uh, thankfully, um, I've got a friend who's a mental health nurse. She recognised the high risk I was, which is, you know, 40. So, you know, 40 to 49 is the risky age bracket for men. Uh, isolation, withdrawal from everything, and just being really good at masking it. You know, if you said to me on a Monday, how are you doing? And I said that to well, my partner, Jamie. She asked me, she said, you all right? I went, yeah, yeah, fine, good, good, good. But I wasn't. I was in a, a place where, you know, I was determined to end my own life. Um, thankfully, I had a crisis plan, a safety plan in place, rang my friend. She rang an ambulance. And, uh, yeah, I was under a section in a, a mental health unit in Leicester. So quite a lot's happened this week. So when something like this happens, Ryan, is this is this circumstantial? Is this something that you can see coming or do you just wake up one day and you're like, boom, I've been hit, I feel like this? Like, Is there anything that you know triggers that you to, to, to feel like this? You know what? I, I um, It crept in through the back door, little by little. I, I can see how I started to become really unwell and really poorly. And, um, you know, I've never had it this bad before because my diagnosis is obsessive compulsive disorder. It's an anxiety disorder. But for many years, I've been able to manage that. You know, I've got my toolkit of things I need to do, like meditation and training, which I know you're a big advocate of, and the things I need to avoid. But the game changer um, that kind of brought this on is I'm now 143 days clean and sober. So my coping strategy my whole life was drugs and alcohol. And it was great that I got sober because I removed that but actually I didn't recognise that I needed to have a different coping strategy. And as a result, it just slowly put me into a place where I was really unwell and it was too late by the time I, I realised. So, you know, I had psychosis. It was a psychotic episode is what they're putting it down to. So, um, so yeah, so I saw it come in, but I didn't, if that makes sense, Alex. It may, yeah, for someone who, from someone who's been there, the, psych, the, psych, the, the psychosis that you refer to, yeah, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. So trying to describe it to someone is hard work because you, you, you're trying to work it out in your own head, right? Like, what the fuck's happening to me? What's real? What's not? You know, it, it, it's hard. So, yeah, what, what happened then? What day was it that you w- were sectioned and, and, like, how did you get to that point? It was, it was Monday. 
Right. So I, I left I left home, I left my partner, Jamie. She said, you know, you're, you're okay, normal morning, or, you know, on the face of it, that's what I wanted to kind of portray. But on the inside, I was just so, so numb and, and so determined on just not ending my life, but ending the pain. Do you know what I mean? No, I don't believe anyone actually wants to die. You just want the pain to stop. And with me, it's intrusive thoughts going over and over and over. So I... Um, I rang, I rang Verity. She's, um, she, she's one of the people, uh, there's two people that saved my life. My partner, Jamie, for her open conversation, kindness and understanding. And Verity is a mental health nurse. I rang her and straight away she said, right, where are you? I'm going to send an ambulance. Um, ambulance came out. Um, they assessed me and they took me straight into uh, George Elliott Hospital in Nuneaton. Yeah. Um, but you know what? It really highlights to me, Alex, how lucky and fortunate I am to have these supportive people in the world and how many people sadly don't have that because had they not recognized what I was going through then I wouldn't be sat here now doing this podcast doing this live review absolutely not I was determined I was I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have made an attempt I'd have completed suicide do you know what I mean I, I, wouldn't, I was that determined in that like driven towards it but thankfully I had people who saw that on my behalf because I wasn't thinking, you know, I wasn't in that state of mind to be able to think clearly, you know, I was psychotic. So, uh, so yeah, I ended up in hospital, thankfully. And in hospital, again, it highlighted how little resource there is for mental health crisis because I sat in the hospital on my own in a room for eight hours before I was assessed. What was happening during the the psycho during the psychosis, but you know, leading up to the event? So, like, can you remember what was happening, what you were doing, how you were feeling? Like, can you remember any of this stuff, Ryan? It was hazy. I mean, over a number of weeks, I started to get some strange emerging be- beliefs and delusions. Like, I'm being punished by God, and I'm I'm not doing something right. And and you know, turning. I, I tried to turn myself to religion, then I was against it. It's just these gradual changes to my belief system and withdrawal and the intrusive thoughts started to get audible there were audible intrusive thoughts so i was having arguments myself in my own head and then arguments out out loud like i'd literally say oh fuck off you know like why why like i'm arguing out loud if anyone's seen me they'd be like why is he talking to himself mm. so there were signs there but we know as men we hide it we hide it well. If we want to invest time in hiding it from the people closest to us and ourselves, we can do. And I, I mask apparently fantastically well. Like now, my, now my partner Jamie's aware. She's like knows exactly what to look out for. Driving the car faster, listening to loud music to try and drown the voices out. But if you'd have seen me, you'd have been like, oh, "He's doing great. He's doing sound. He's winning life." Uh, yeah, men are uh, men are fucking world class at that, right? And we just, we need to stop it, don't we? We need to stop doing that, putting that mask on. Well, look, it's it's hard, right? Because there's there's two approaches to this, isn't there? There's So if we were talking about mental toughness, for example, which every man needs, right? You'd, you'd probably agree. We need to be tough in this world. Like, well, yeah. where's the crossover? Where's the boundaries between that mental mental toughness that we need to, to gain uh, and this resilience and, you know, the opposite side of the vulnerability that men are encouraged to show. It's quite confusing. Even, you know, I'm quite self-aware now, but it's still hard to know where that balance is. When is the right time to toughen up? When's the right time to step back and go, I'm not okay. So, yeah, I don't know what you think to that and like how we get clearer on those boundaries. 
I completely agree with you. And I think it's person-centred. You know, I think there's that balance in between the two where we need to feel it's okay to process emotion. But at the same time, I'm the kind of person who needs to kick up the fucking ass. You know, I need my mate to say, come on, get your fucking ass in the gym and let's go, rather than that complete kindness and it's okay approach. So I think it is a person-centered. It's somewhere between, you know, generations ago where my great-granddad would have probably given me a clip around the ear and told me to pull my socks up to the generation right now where everything's kind of, you know, a little bit all fluffy and not. It's somewhere in the middle, but I think that's different for each and every one of us. And to have that emotional intelligence to know this is my needs, this is my balance, this is when you need to give me a good kick up the arse, and this is when you need to tell me it's okay, you know, have a cry, talk about how you feel, and, you know, I think everyone has to establish that. And it's knowing about yourself, right? It's learning. It's life lessons. It's Absolutely. And, and I think that's hard, though, for the people around us because sometimes we would, you know, we would say we, we need the people around us to give us a boot up the arse. I think it's hard for people around men and women who suffer from depression, anxiety, whatever it is, to know how to deal with it as well because it's uncomfortable for everybody involved right no one wins when you're depressed no one wins you don't win no one around you wins so it's like there's like how do i deal with it the individual and then how do the people around me deal with it because from my experience dude the people around me can never win when i'm when i'm feeling depressed they can't do right for wrong you know so it's like yeah how, how do they handle it how do we communicate to them yeah, that's it. And I'm, that's why I'm such a huge ambassador for mental health first aid. You know, it gives people, people around us the tools to have that non-judgmental conversation and know that, you know, you haven't got to fix it. You haven't got to be a trained counsellor or, or therapist. Just listening and letting that person unravel those thoughts, feelings, and emotions can be the win. That can be the thing. That way they don't feel lost and so helpless and they don't feel like they've got to solutionize and give us a, you know, a, a fix to that problem. Because like you said, friends won't know how to react. They're at the depth. You know, I've got a group of mates and I've got my mates now that I can go to when I'm struggling and they'll just listen. They'll just listen, validate my feelings, let me explore it. And I've still got the group of mates who are a bit dated. If I say, oh, I'm feeling really low today. Oh, come on. You're all right. Bit, cheer up. Get on with it. That kind of approach. And it's like... Yeah, I get you're trying to give me your reassurance, but just giving someone that safe space to get this stuff out, let the words hit the air, take away their power and work through it that way, I think is really valuable for everyone to have. And that's why I want it to be a legal requirement, like physical first aid. That's compulsory. Why isn't mental health first aid yet a compulsory measure, giving everyone an average level of understanding around mental health, mental illness and how we can support one another? I think these conversations are great, mate. Like even, you know, this conversation that we're having now, neither of us are claiming that we have the answers, but we work so hard to try and improve how we deal with life and its challenges and and, and, and all the things. So what do you do next? Obviously, you know, you've just come out from this position of being sectioned. You're, you know, probably not feeling at your best right now. Like how do you handle it from this point? How does your partner handle it? What are you going to do? either differently or just moving forward it's trial and error you know finding that journey of recovery it it can be really difficult it can be trying out things that work for you and and just recognizing that balance so you know i recognize now that my coping strategy of drugs and alcohol i will never do again and that's the way i've depend on you know that's thing i've depend on for for most my life I'm on different medication now, but there's so many different medications out there and different dosages. So I'm on an antipsychotic, I'm on sertraline, and I've got diazepam for when I'm you know really bad, which I try to avoid. 
meditation has always formed a big part of my world um and training i mean you're in great shape you always are you love the training but boxing mma weights running they all give me a different thing and just give myself the time and space to work through that and accept that some days i'm going to wake up and i'm going to feel shit and they're the days i need to work a little bit harder and then some days i'm going to feel feel all right so it's it's a trial and error process, you know, throwing too many things in at once. You don't really know what's effective. So it's like, let me try that. Okay, let me try that. I'm going to adopt that. That didn't work for me. Is finding that toolkit that works for you. So you've got loads in there to try as and when you need it. So it's going to be a bit of a journey, brother. It really mm. is. It's the hardest test I've had. And, you know, you'd think I have, like, like we said about, we're not pro- proclaiming to have all the answers. You know, how can you? It's person-centered. It's thoughts, feelings, emotions, behaviors, personalities. That almost worked against me because I felt hopeless because as a mental health first aid trainer and someone that supports people with diagnosis like schizophrenia, I thought, well, if I can't piece this together, what hope is there? And, and that, that lost me hope. But actually, I just needed to reach out to people and say, this is how I'm feeling, this is what I'm going through, and hand over control to them, which is what I did. Handed over control of my well-being to someone who I trusted to make those decisions and calls, and they kept me safe. They kept me safe, and I'm here now sitting, you know, blessed to be able to have this conversation with you. How old are you now, brother? I'm 40. You're 40, right? Do you ever worry, do you ever concern yourself that you're going to spend the whole life, your whole life just trying to like be okay and battle this shit? Because that, that's the kind of stuff that cross, crosses my mind. Like, Am I going to spend my time on this planet just trying to be okay? Yeah, it, it, it does concern me. But then, you know, I've gone periods of my life where I've been able to not medicate and, you know, you know good chunks of time where I've been, I've been okay. But yeah, I totally get where you're coming from. You think, God, this is, I've got to work at this daily. This is a battle. This is something that I need to do daily, but no different to the gym. Do you know what I mean? You, you wouldn't expect to walk around the gym and end up coming out with a six pack. We've got to work that daily. I might have to work my mental health daily and I might have to work harder than, than some and not as hard as others. But, you know, my purpose in life while still breath in my body is to carry this message as you do forward about positive mental health conversation, because the power of kindness can be everything. The power of kindness got me through that difficult time I had at the start of the week, you know, that, that smile from a stranger, the nurse that came in and saw me in distress and I said, oh, my phone's dead. Oh, let me charge your phone for you. You know, the chap that popped in and said, do you want another coffee? Person outside that saw me crying and just said, you all right? You know, what, what's going on? Talk to me. The power of kindness we all have. And um, so, yeah, if we have to work at this daily, you know, 40, 50, 60, whatever, I do believe there's hope, there's help. And there's lots of little things like kindness that can make a world of difference to people struggling. Man, that's great to hear, man. Especially if I'm like a guy like yourself. Like, I mean, let's face it, right? You're a big guy. You've got tattoos all over you, right? You've got tattoos on your neck, on your arms and stuff. It's so good to hear somebody like yourself who, let's face it, probably gets judged, right? Because, you know, you're, you're a scary looking dude. You probably <laughs> get people that are going to go like, oh, he's a top, he's a, he's a top bastard, you know? Like, you wouldn't, you just wouldn't piece it together, would you? So the fact that you're here speaking out like this is just incredible. And I think it's great to hear from guys like yourself because, you know, doctors and, and, and psychologists and stuff can teach us a lot, but it always feels like there's a there's a lack of, um, you, you know, understanding of, of the reality of the average guy who's going through this kind of shit. So, yeah, I love what you do, man. I think it's, uh, I think it's amazing. Um, and, yeah, su- super courageous to, to come on this show 
after what you've been through this week and just just literally, like we said, unfiltered, say it how it is. Because mental health problems are pretty damn ugly, right? They are, mate. They're so common. You know, one in four people we know about, they're the people that have access to service. In reality, two in four people every year, 50%. And, um, and, you know, going back to your kind words, this is why I've got massive respect for what you do. You know, you, you're constantly talking about this stuff and putting it out there. You've got a really good platform. I love the message, you know, what you're about. So equally, you know, you're courageous. And I, I thank you for standing with me and many others to to put this out there because it is it's, it's a difficult time and you know who's going to navigate through life alex and get to the end and so oh, you know life completed that was easy you know drop the mic no none of us we're all going to face significant life events challenges poor mental health mental illness but we can make that easier for one another mm. with kindness and understanding um and yeah it doesn't matter what you look like you know, yeah i've had two pro American fights i'm covered in tattoos but it doesn't matter if you're a ballet dancer, a boxer, you know, if you're creative minded, whatever, it, it's unforgiving. You could be a millionaire, you could be on the street. When it's a battle in your own mind, it doesn't matter what you, you know, what, what materialistic things you have or position or level you're at, it's unforgiving. Mm. And um, it's one of the hardest battles that I've ever faced. And I've had cancer and, it, you know, cancer is easy compared to this. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, six years ago, I had testicular cancer. And, uh, you know, that that journey showed me a couple of things. Because in terms of that, there's lots of support. You know, you've got mm. cancer, there's a scan, there's a test, there's you're on the radar for five years. End to end, that journey lasts me about three months. It was an operation, diagnosis, and all that jazz. Lots of support, lots of kindness. You're a warrior, you're a trooper. You know, all the dialogue used by mates, come on, yeah, you got this. But the mental ill health that experience left me with was far more long-lasting and impactful. So trying to get counselling or therapy for that experience was non-existent compared to the, the physical support. And even like dialogue used by friends, and they're still my mates. Like if I said something like, oh, I'm really worried it's back, I'm feeling unwell again. You know, it's comments like, oh, you'll be all right, you'll be fine, you've had your test. The dialogue used was completely different to the physical health, to the mental health. And it showed me that disparity, you know, how we talk about and look at it different. And I get cancer's life-threatening, but so can depression leading to suicide or crisis. And I came as close to that as I ever want to get this week. My mates get very uncomfortable when I talk about any form of depression. Any form. Like, I get it. They don't know what to say. So they just say, you'll be okay, which which sometimes is enough. But after a while, you stop speaking to them because it puts them at unease. So you kind of don't, you end up like a typical guy, right? You don't want to trouble anybody. Yeah, You just want to see it through and tough it out. Yeah. And at times that works. And then sometimes it's not effective whatsoever. And yeah. And, it, and, you know, the situation that you find yourself in can quite easily creep up on you, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's it. Sometimes, you know, that's enough to get you through. Someone giving you that kindness and support, say, come on, you'll be all right. But then, you know, if, it, if it's an illness, we wouldn't let anyone walk around with a broken leg. And, yeah. and, and mental illness is exactly that. You know, I was, I was that poorly that it needed medical intervention. And thankfully, luckily, I got it. But it just breaks my heart so many people you know don't have that and it was only this week that you know someone I knew that um you know he's kind of a distant friend uh, via social media took his own life 
fire, you know, he hung himself. And it just it, it breaks it breaks my heart when I hear that. It, it, it affects me. Do you know what I mean? Because we need to change this. Mm-hmm. It's like sixteen people each and every day complete suicide in the UK. Who knows what the figures are now? But by increasing awareness, you know, so our friends, like you said, do know how to respond in a different way and signpost. You know, if you thought about doing this, if you thought about doing that, give you a few options, then it can be everything to someone. It could be everything. How do we get more men to do that, though? So if me and you were saying that would help, you know, if our friends could uh, be a bit more open and we could, you know, go to our friends and chat and chat, a bit, a bit like women do, right? They're, they're better at this than men, right? They'll go for coffee and they'll have a chit-chat. Like, how do we encourage more men to get better at listening? Because it seems like there's so many other things to do for, for people, you know. There's there's success to be to be driven out. There's, there's social media to be distracted by. It's pretty much everything except slowing down and learning the finer skills in life. So where do we start on this mission? Like, it seems like it might be a losing battle at times. And uh, and it's not because we, we, we need to keep doing it. But like, where, where do we even go from here, Ryan? It's a whole host of things, isn't it? You know, societal pressure, cultural pressure, um, upbringing. Only the other day, no, the other day, a few weeks ago, I was walking back from a local shop over the road and there was a young lad, a toddler. I think he was about four or five. And it looked like he'd fell and, and hit his leg on the ground and he was crying. And mum was saying this, and I totally get it, no judgment whatsoever. Mum said to him, come on, be a big, brave boy, don't cry. Now that could teach that lad from a very early age Bravery is associated with suppressing emotion. I get rewarded by mum for not crying. So next time that happens, I feel like crying. I'm just going to not. I'm going to withdraw. So even our upbringing still can instill into you know lads, into men, that you know we need to be brave and put on this face. And I think we're getting better generationally. We're now in a space where you and I are able to talk about this on a live. So I think it's going to be a long process. But with great platforms like yours and your conversations that you have and and everyone getting on board with this i think we will get there eventually we will i don't want to be a parent now dude i would not want to be a parent you know i mean you could easily fuck your kids up by saying the wrong thing right i know i know, you know what i mean it's that it's the impossible job isn't it like you can yeah. say one wrong thing and it sticks with them forever and they're they're, they're you know it, it, they're talking about it 20 years later because what you've just said like Part of me is like, yeah, you know, we want to encourage people not to just cover all this stuff up. And part of me is like, well, yeah, you do want to pick yourself up, dude, and be a trooper and courage. Do you know what I mean? It's such yeah, a hard thing. Yeah, it's, it's a hard balance. It's two different directions. It's like, well, yeah. you need both in life, don't you? You need both yeah. skills. You need to learn how to be resilient as a man. Yeah. And to, like you say, sometimes you've got to fight and hit back and all those kind of things. And then sometimes you've got to go, nah, I'm not okay. I need some help. And to educate somebody on how to do that is so difficult. Yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. And it's different for all of us. But you're right, we need we need that. We need that, you know, come on, let's let's fucking get going. But also I think we've been too far in that space previously. And so many men have suffered in silence. So maybe we've got the balance now. You know, maybe we've got it now where we recognise, come on, we need to get this going. And and actually now I accept more that if I want to, you know, have a cry or say I'm struggling, I feel like I can do that. So maybe, maybe we're at, at that point, we just need to increase the awareness of that because there's still so many men who don't feel they can admit when they need some help and they're struggling. And that's when crisis happens. Keeping this stuff in results in crisis, whether it's man, woman, however someone chooses to identify, the data shows that keeping these thoughts and feelings in that are distressing it will result in crisis. We need to get it out. And that's the power of conversation. That's the power of talk. 
Mm, absolutely. And I think lad time is important as well. So there's some guys that I know that have been struggling quite a lot lately, but everything's centered around the partner that they're with. And, you know, it's almost like lad time's gone, you know, that male bonding, you know, even, even as far as like a bit of banter, a bit of piss taking, going out, doing things together, having fun, getting in the gym and training together. For me, that's becoming a little bit more and more lost. So this whole, this whole toxic masculinity that's thrown around, and I love your view on this because I think masculinity is a good thing. I think that you can be um, a brave, strong guy, you know, tough, resilient, but still for me, masculinity means taking responsibility uh, of your own health, uh, you know, of what you eat, your training, the people around you, being kind, looking after them. For me, that's what masculinity means. I think it's just got a bit of a, a tarnished name now. What do you think to this whole latest masculinity? And it seems like it, it, it's, it's becoming a, a lost feature in a guy. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think there can be a modern approach to masculinity. You know, a lot of you said about, you know, taking responsibility and, and kindness and stuff in there. You know, things that make uh, a person a good, a good, kind-hearted person, you know, that, that should be masculinity. So it's not just what you typically associate with that, you know, of old. It's this this new approach, this modern approach to it. it it's a person-centred wholesome approach to what masculinity or, or being a man might look like so um so yeah it's it's different for everyone isn't it but i think we need to consider the whole piece it is and there's a difference between being macho and being masculine right so the macho is the whole like you know stick your chest out a bit of a chauvinist pig kind of thing which is not where we want to be heading whatsoever mm -hmm. but yeah the masculinity thing for me is yeah like i say just stepping up a little bit more and um yeah. I think we need just more leaders. It, 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 I think we take the people that are, are sold on the concept like we are, like we believe in speaking about these things as well as I think we've both got that that fight in us, you know, to that, we, that you need to survive in life. And I think both of us have, have probably kind of brought that out in the, the mixed martial arts world, the boxing world, the training, the gym, which has served us well. Um, but I was thinking this morning on my walk about why you would step in a cage and have – two professional fights so I've been in the ring and done a little bit not to the level that you've done but there was something a little bit where I enjoyed getting beat up on a little bit you know I enjoyed hitting and I enjoyed being hit and I don't know whether it was a good thing or whether it was a bit of a punishment thing but like why did you get into MMA was it for uh, health and fitness did you want to get your anger out like what took you into the cage I my learned behaviour early on um, from suffering with OCD from around the age of 12, when I tried to talk to people because there wasn't the awareness, it made it worse. So my incorrect learned behaviour was I'm the only person that's going to help me. I'm going to suppress everything. I'm going to create this, this false self of what I thought tough was, which was the, the doorman, the tattoos, the weightlifting, the fighting. So I went down that route because I just got sick and tired of feeling like I was a victim and I was suffering. So I, I thought, right, I'll do away with the, the creative, the kind Ryan, and I'm going to create this different character that I thought was tough and untouchable. And like you said about getting hit, that's interesting because I um, I used to self-harm, but we usually associate that with cutting or burning or, or something of that nature. My method of self-harm was going to boxing and cage fighting and just not defending myself. Yeah. So I'd get hit a lot and someone would say to me, are you tired? You know, you're injured. What's going on? And my answer was something like this. I've, I've had a horrible day. I can't deal with what's going on in my head. I just wanted to get hit and feel pain. 
that probably accounts for five percent of the time I've ever gone boxing or MMA. The other ninety-five is love of the sport, but because my intention was purely to self-injure, to self-harm, that was a self-harming behaviour, and it was like an inner scream I needed to get out. Because there's loads of different reasons someone might self-harm. It could be like a level of control. It could be trying to process emotion. It could be like an inner scream. So I found you know, that was therapeutic. On those days when I was really struggling with my head, going and getting hit and getting beaten up, that was like a release. So um, there's lots of different methods of self-harm mm. that people are aware of. It, promiscuous behaviour has been documented as a method of self-harm. It depends on the reason the person's doing that activity, not limited to cutting and burning and striking or hair pulling. Right, that's a great point. Yeah, I mean, overeating is also something people are looking to, you know, or, you know, people binge eating and overeating, is that a form of self-harm? But yeah, I totally understand what you're saying about the, the you know, the, the cage fighting and, the, and the, the, the being hit. I remember having a, a bit of a play with um, Glenn Smith from Red Corner at a charity match and smashed my nose within... 30 seconds. I mean, look at the state of these ears, bro. They've been beat up on battery. I've got a mild one compared to you, but that's yeah, decent. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a terrible boxer, by the way. Just absolutely terrible. Anyway, yeah, you know, he smashed my nose and I had blood coming down my face and it was going into my mouth. I could taste my own blood. And a sick part of me, even though I was boxing, was, was saying, I like the taste of my own blood. And I didn't want to wipe it off after I liked I like that look. It was a bit of a sadistic kind of feeling. But again, yeah. this is all the things that like people don't want to speak about because it sounds sick and it sounds twisted. But I think every man's got these things in them. You know, you know, we're we're wired to to protect and defend and fight, and it's in us. And I think rather than try and tuck that away and hide it and pretend like it doesn't exist, I think it's more dangerous if we do that. I think we have to look at it and find healthy ways like training, weightlifting, running, walking, meditating. Whatever it is that we can use that energy, because I don't think that energy is going anywhere. I don't think you can turn a guy into somebody that's not got that anger in them or that physical need for maybe violence or activity or for fresh air. Like you can't take these things out of our DNA. So you have to go, well, what the fuck are you going to do? Because sitting on your ass all day in front of a laptop or, you know, watching TV, that's the worst thing you can do, right? It's, it's, it's not, it's not serving any of those needs. It's not catering to any of those needs. So it's for me, the basics are so underestimated like decent food and people will want to like slap the shit out of me because i go on about the same thing all the time you've got to get at least like some kind of conditioning on your body some kind of health some kind of fresh air and that for me alone is a good starting point yeah yeah absolutely you're right we've we, this is written into us we've got this in our dna you know we need to get out of our comfort zone we need to be tested we need to wake up that beast and do something with that energy and um that that is that that's got me through the most difficult times you know when i've hit my lowest you know i've almost entered into that that darkness that dark space and it's woke up that beast i'm like right come on i need to do something it's it's a fork in the road it's either you know just get busy living or get busy dying and it's that 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 anger that hate that drive that kind of got me out of it i mean i've gone for whole five kilometer runs before just crying didn't want to do it had to drag my ass off the sofa but I knew I had to do it to start to build back up. So, yeah, we've got that in us. We need to do something with it and understand it and be aware of it because sitting in front of a laptop, absorbing this blue light that affects our melatonin, being sedentary and not getting out of our comfort zone, you know, they can, that could be really unhealthy for us. We need, to, we need to move. We need physical movement. We need fresh air. We need daylight. We need vitamin D from the sun. All them basics you talk about, you know, remove the word basic. They're everything. 
They're mm. cornerstones for health, both physical and mental. So you you keep pounding away at that. You know, I don't think anyone's going to get sick of hearing that, brother, because, you know, you talk sense, you always have done. And, and if people try this stuff and embrace it, then they will see improvements in their physical and mental health. You will feel better. You'll awaken something in you that gives you that that drive and, and, and sense of purpose, I believe. So when are you back in the gym? Well, tomorrow. Going back yeah. to boxing tomorrow, I've got a really kind, understanding um, boxing coach. Uh, so I'm going to go back and just have a move around. Uh, shameless plug, Alex. I've got a headline fight on the 31st of July at Birmingham City Football Club, raising money for We Are Hummingbird. They go into schools and talk about mental health. Because if we can start this conversation in schools, then really? hopefully generation to generation, we won't have the struggles you and I have had. So it's all raising money for that fantastic organisation. Cool. Well, what we'll do is we'll get a link put out on the, the, the comment box after it's after it's gone live and we'll put a link out when it's a podcast as well, mate. And uh, I'll certainly be uh, be sponsoring you for that one. That, that's... That's fantastic, man. So you're not you're not fully retired, then, dude. You're uh, you, you're lacing back the gloves and getting smashed in the face again. Yeah, for, for a good reason to raise yeah. money. I think I think after like this one and maybe one more MMA, I'll have to retire and take some safer like golf. I'm getting sick of being beat up by twenty year olds. They're too fast, mate. I'm feeling old. I'm thirty. How old are you? I'm thirty six. The uh, thirty seven this year. Um, but shit, I'm, I've noticed a difference over the last three or four years. Like yeah. seriously, yeah, yeah. Like just from injuries to recovery, to to yeah, to how fast I used to be. Like it's insane. It's scary. Yeah, I would not want to step in the ring with a 25 year old now. I'd get my ass whooped. No, hey, you don't look a day over 30, brother. You're doing something right. Well, yeah. I mean, I've lost all my hair, bro. Look at that. Oh, mate, I'm going grey. Don't worry about it. Neither of us have got it good. <laughs> where, where are you training now? Uh, combat and exercise in the Neaton. Um, oh, is that Rich? Is it Rich? Eamon? Rich Yeomans, yeah. Rich Yeomans, yeah. Yeah, great gym. Danny Bantz is my coach. He's a great guy. He's not just, you know, a physical coach. You can go and talk to him about stuff and he really understands when to push me and when to just let me go through the movements. Um, so, yeah, training training there because I'm back in uh, Neaton now. Cool. Do you, um, do you follow uh, Jeff Thompson or Matty Evans at all? You know Always, like yeah. the elephant of the twig. Read them books way back in the day, and like I said, Matty got a lot of love and respect for him. I was going to do a seminar with him, but I think he, he broke his hand or something, so it got cancelled. But you mentioned Glenn Smith, a lot of love for that guy. You know, yeah. these people who really understand this and great, great, absolute warriors. You know, yeah, I'm, see, I'm seeing I'm seeing Matt tomorrow. I'm seeing Matty tomorrow, but Matty and Jeff no longer um, want to go down like even the physical training route in terms of. You know, Jeff doesn't hit pads anymore or do even heavy weights. I think Matty's going that way as well. Like he's coming away from from anything that that that's you know classified get I guess as violent. Wow. Um, and a lot of the guys who have been down that violent route often kind of stray away from it in the end. Do you think that you know eventually you'll be saying, "Look, I, I don't want to be hitting things. Or I don't want to be getting hit anymore." Is that is that coming soon? It's hard to say. I wouldn't say it's coming soon, but I think there's always a right time for everyone to say, you know what, I'm in a different space now. But using using this now to try and open up these conversations with men who, you know, struggle to, to come forward and talk about mental health, you know, if, if they if they associate still toughness with MMA, cage fighting, boxing, tattoos, and then I can go in and say, I've got a mental illness, you know, I've been sectioned and try and encourage that conversation then uh, I'm going to keep getting hit in the face for that. That's a good enough reason for me. 
So let's talk about your business. So uh, Mind Health Solutions. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, t- tell me more about that and what you do. So we um, we teach mental health first aid. So it's a two-day course. Uh, it's fully accredited, recognised by the Department of Health, and it's supposed to be a legal requirement at some point in the future. It's been passed through parliamentary process. You have to have, you're probably familiar with, you've got to have your, your physical first aider, yep. trips, trips, falls, heart attacks. You're going to have to have a mental health first aider as well, which is the course we teach. Um, it's a great course. You know, people think, oh, I'm going to talk about suicide and anxiety. But you come through empowered. You come through feeling like it's a positive experience. You learn a lot about yourself, your own mental health. And actually, you're happy to have these conversations now. And you're not, you know, like a deer in the headlights. If someone says, I feel suicidal or I'm going to have a panic attack, it gives you the tools to respond in the right way. And um, I made a pledge at the start of this year to teach and train uh, 500 frontline workers, NHS staff, care workers, anyone that's been the heartbeat of the nation to keep us going during the pandemic for free. So if anyone is in that space and they want some support, I will train them for nothing. I've got 500, well, I've trained quite a few now, but, you know, reach out because these people, you know, your frontline workers, your NHS staff, they've been giving and giving and giving have been an absolute heartbeat in this country so i want to give back any way i can hey that's fantastic man super dedicated i mean this is this has been something you've been working with your whole life right because i was doing a bit of reading um about the business and about you um last week and you know this has been something that's plagued you since you were a young kid right you started off having your battles with mental health when you're hearing voices in your head i think you i think you were uh, i think you said you're about eight years old or maybe even younger it's about 12 i think it's oh, hard sorry, to yeah. relate to it eight twelve yeah. if you are but yeah you know typical um typical kind of uh compulsions delusions switch the light turn the light switch on and off 20 times otherwise your parents would die things like that there's always some horrific outcome if I didn't do it and you don't know if that's normal or usual at that age, you know, growing up puberty and uh, it just went unrecognized because we don't, we didn't understand obsessive compulsive disorder then. I mean, there's one episode I remember where the the voices were like, right, do sit-ups all day long, all day you're going to do sit-ups. So I do sit-ups to the point of exhaustion. I'd stop, I'd carry on, tore every muscle in my stomach. I'd have three weeks off school rather than recognise that as a mental health concern, you know, why has this person done this? What sits behind the behaviour? It was all, you silly lad. What did you do that for? Do you know what I mean? It just went, it went unsupported and unrecognised. Even in my 20s, when I was convinced I was going to get HIV, that was my wholehearted belief I was going to get HIV, I'd cut my leg, maybe playing football, fall on the ground, think, what if someone who's got that has landed in the exact space? I need to get a test. I had eight tests in 12 months. Rather than recognise that as a mental health concern, the professionals banned me from having tests. I'm hoping no one goes through that anymore and we recognise what's what's the reason for this behaviour. Is there something more that sits behind it? But it's been um, it's been a struggle and it's been a lot of suffering, mostly as a result of stigma, judgment and lack of awareness. And we've got the power as a collective to change all of that. Mate, it's so interesting you're saying this because I, I was reading about what you're saying now, but it never really hit me until you said it. Like, yeah, you said you were doing sit-ups for like eight hours and like I say, you know, 
injured all the muscles in your in your in your abdomen yeah that's not normal behavior right like whereas yeah they would you know try and tell you not to do these things and it's like well at that point you would start questioning why are you doing that and we, and we spoke earlier about like punishment like that's what that was right beating yourself yeah. up for eight hours doing sit-ups and that's when you're a young lad at school that's probably where you needed most to help and support Absolutely. Absolutely. Early intervention can lead to prevention. You know, we we don't need to let people become as unwell as they do with poor mental health and leading into mental illness. We can intervene at the right point and stop it progressing. Mm. And, you know, definitely if I'd have had you know, a conversation with a mental health first aider or someone understood or a professional back then, it would have given me the awareness and the diagnosis to know what it was I was going through and how to handle that. I mean, I only got my correct diagnosis five years ago. It was only from doing the mental first aid course that I started to piece the dots together, found the right GP. And they said, yeah, clearly you've got obsessive compulsive disorder. And, and that's when my journey of recovery really kind of began. It's getting that correct diagnosis. and moving Why forward. did it help so much to have a diagnosis or a label or for somebody to say, you know, this is what you have? Like, what, what did it change for you? What did you do differently? Well, when I was younger, it was, uh, you know, I thought it was weird, strange, different, got bullied as a result. And that kind of led me into the path of cage fighting and boxing as well. So I thought, I'm never yeah. going to get bullied again. What can I do to influence that? Um, it gave me the understanding to know what it was I was going through. So getting that, not necessarily label, but that diagnosis where I knew, okay, so I've been diagnosed with this. Let me do my own research. Let me be accountable for my own journey of recovery. No one can do this for me. I need to try and work this out and piece it together myself. So having that, knowing what I was going through, finding groups that I could relate to and people who also had that diagnosis to talk about it with, you know, their lived experience almost became um, part of my um my recovery you know someone's saying i've been there i've had that this is what i did and you can kind of relate so using that lived experience to become someone else's survival guide it is is so so healthy so good to be able to relate and talk and explore it with someone who's been there but they're further down the path so it was really helpful getting that diagnosis finally to know oh yeah that's that's exactly what i've been suffering with you find that you uh get healing from helping other people as well so it's something that always makes me feel good is when i'm serving other men like helping other men do better feel better train whatever it is i can do to help like that almost yeah it just just makes me feel fucking good um and it yeah it encourages me to be, be a better person encourages me to understand other guys more a little bit as well um so do you get the same the same satisfaction the same healing from delivering these courses 100 percent, 100 attention to others you know it helps them get me out of my own head like i say it makes you feel good but actually how can i be of service to someone else how can i be of use to them i mean i attended something only this week and and i only came out of hospital monday and so i said oh i've got this person struggling i know you're i'm like that's perfect for me they're going to be helping me more than i'm helping them because it gets me out of my own head. I can go and talk to them and see if I can help and support. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I live and breathe this. And, uh, you know, while there's breath in my body, I'm going to keep shouting about this until we're all in a position where people get the the support that they they need with, with mental health. Do you get many guys call you up 
or message you and say, Ryan, I'm feeling shit, or you know, this is happening to me. Like, can you help? Can you can you listen? Or what should I do? Do you, do you get much of that contact? Because you've got you've got a large following. Like, there's a lot of people that follow you and watch what you do. Yeah, daily, daily. Yeah, right, okay. And I have to like make sure I set those boundaries because you know I'm not a qualified clinician, not a doctor, mm. not a GP. I'm a mental health first aid trainer. I'm a safe signposter. But that's pretty easy because if someone reaches out for help, then like you said at the start, I've not got the answers, but, you know, try going on here, try looking at this, check this out, come back to me, let me know how you get on. So it's that safe signposting. And um, there's so many resources out there with regards to mental health support. We just have to work really hard to find them. I mean, there's a great app called the Hub of Hope. I'd encourage anyone to download it because it's a directory of mental health services and supports. Simply put in your town postcode, filter it by what you're looking for. It will come up with all the ones we've heard of, Samaritans, Calm, Mind, Papyrus, down to the little crisis cafe around the corner that you didn't even know was there because they can't afford to advertise and market what they do. So it, I wake up daily to messages um, and I'll safely signpost them, you know, because I ain't got the answers. I'm not a qualified doctor, but I'm here to listen non-judgmentally and I'm here to share what I know. My resource is now yours. When you're not feeling good, do you do you question whether you're helping these guys or not? Do you question whether you're any good and whether you're actually of any service to these people? think it's harder to solve our own problems than other people's and we can't do this for people we can't force change you know this is an offering of support we can't force this support so I'd hope it helps and a lot of the feedback people come back and say you know what just because you listened or you signpost me to that resource I didn't know was there you know it started my journey of recovery but you can't you can't help everyone someone's got to be ready and at that point in their life to make that that change you know someone's almost got to hit like rock bottom as they say before you can bounce back up so yeah. you know just leaving that moment of kindness and saying look i'm here when you're ready that that can be that can be everything to someone hey that's exactly right and i talk about this all the time people will only change when there's enough pain to force them to change and yeah I, I don't have the answer to this if i did i'd it would be incredible but it's frustrating that we all have to reach that point so it's exactly you know my was the classic story of yeah it got so bad that i had to change the way i lived kind of thing and there was two or three years of poor behavior in there that i could have changed so many things i could have done on reflection but no i had to wait until that psychosis crept up locked my doors for three weeks didn't leave the house all sorts of crazy shit. And it was like that pain, although it was the worst experience of my life feeling like that, it it has kind of been a blessing because it's it's changed what I do, changed how I live, uh, helps me understand, you know, how other guys are feeling potentially a little bit more. So it's one of those, it's like, yeah, sometimes these things are here as Jeff, Jeff always refers to it as a, as a messenger, you know, it's saying that you've got to do something different. My, my mentor Paul Moore says it's an alarm bell going off and it's those things, isn't it, that, that move us. And I think, yeah, guys might drop us messages with good intentions to change, but until things get pretty damn bad, they're probably not going to do anything because why would they? Yeah, that's it. I completely agree. Pain can be a catalyst for change. You know, something's got to give. And that intense pain, you know, that that, that rock bottom, even though it, it's horrific and you know, I wouldn't say 
I wouldn't say I was grateful for it, but it, it served its purpose. It allowed me to bounce back up. It gave me a greater level of empathy for people going through this kind of thing. And even this week, you know, I've never been sectioned before, but going through that, you know, has given me a greater level of understanding and empathy for people who are in that suicidal crisis and what we need to do to keep them safe when they're in that temporary state of mind. So, yeah, it's um, it's difficult. It's probably the most difficult things anyone will ever go through is is poor mental health or mental illness. But, you know, it can be the catalyst for change. You've got to be ready and you've got to put one foot in front of the other and just keep moving forward. Even if it's small steps, just keep moving forward because there is hope. There is recovery. Uh, I've felt it. You felt it. We've seen it. And, and we can give people that hope because when you feel that way, you feel hopeless. That's how I felt at the start of the week. All hope is gone and, and people people give me that bit of kindness, that bit of hope. And I was just able to cling on to that reality and, and, and move forward. And, and like I say, you know, I want to do a massive shout out to, um, to Verity Oates. You know, she's a good friend of mine. She's a mental health first. She absolutely saved my life and my partner, Jamie Lee, for a kind understanding. Um, she just like listened and let me unravel that stuff. And without those two people in the world, you know, I wouldn't be sat here now. I absolutely believe that. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. We all need people around us, right? I think I think that's that's goes without saying, kind of thing. Um, as a, as a personal trainer, that's my background. Um, when I've been classically what I would call out of shape, so I've been a couple of stone heavier than what I am. There's an there's an element of like me feeling fraudulent, and when I'm battling my own mental health, there's also an element of me feeling fraudulent because I'm always on social media coaching guys trying to put out positive messages. When some days it's nothing like that. So there's how do you deal with like oh I'm teaching people how to improve their mental health yet here I am having the worst time of my life being sex do you have these inner battles that kind of like you know are inside me and are inside probably hundreds and thousands of other men as well yeah absolutely i think you know going through your own struggle it makes us more authentic and more honest and more personable but yeah absolutely you know i start to get a lot of self-doubt i think if i can't put this together you know who am i to teach other people to look after their mental health and to protect and improve it but it goes to show that it's unforgiving and I just think it's it's so powerful to be able to say, I struggle as well. You know, I can tell you all these strategies. What works for me won't work for you. I've had my struggle. I've been sectioned and it's fine because I think talking about it, being open about it, that's that's a big thing with mental health and mental illness. So, yeah, I have the self-doubt, mate. Don't, don't get me wrong. I really do. But um, I've got a passion for this and even if I've helped one person during this, this life journey of mental health support, that's worth it. You know, if I've saved one life somewhere along the line, if I've helped someone go in a better direction at some point, then, you know, it's, it's, it's all worth it. I'm sure you have, mate. I'm sure you have. Um, let's, let's say we reach this state of aware, you know, talking awareness, we remove the stigma a little bit. How do we get more guys to actually do more? So we're more open. How do we get guys to start taking care of their body um, start eating the right things, starting to get out, starting to put their phone down, starting to, you know, switch Netflix off. Like, like how tough do we have to get on this? Because I've got quite strong views on this, whereas I'm quite a straight talker. So I don't believe you should put the TV on until you've done your thing for the day. So I'm very much like, look, do what you need to do, i.e. fucking train, then have what you want, put the TV on, not the other way around. I'm quite old school, quite regimented like this. And it serves me well and it serves my guys well. It's a bit old fashioned, 
it, you know, it's it, it's a bit to the point like that. But like, yeah, how how do you think we we almost drag the, this 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 change and like, you know, wh- when do we stop being so nice and start throwing out, you know, a little bit more direct information? Yeah, see, I, I love that about you. I completely agree. I'm a bit old school like you, and I'll get up at five a.m. and I you know handle my business and and get that get the stuff done before I have the, the treat. That d- bit of discipline goes a long way. Um, and I think it's those gradual daily habits that can change behaviours. You know, I didn't suddenly wake up and go, right, my 5am guy. You know, it went from like seven to half six to six. You know, I added one thing at a time to monitor and measure what effect it had for me. So how do we encourage more men to to get into that space? Well, pretty much how I started, just just to make that one positive change this week. Get up half hour earlier. Don't grab your phone as soon as you wake up. Whatever it is in your life that you think will help you live better and feel better, make that one change that week. And then when you've done that and you've mastered that, let's make another one and make another one. And just let those daily habits turn into healthy behaviours until you find yourself in a space where you're living your best life. But, um, yeah, just encouraging it and getting people to try it. And like you say, you're, you're a big advocate of this. People listen to you. They respect you. You've got some clients doing amazing things. I mean, I've seen them before and after pictures. So whatever you're doing is working. That's how I think we encourage you. You keep doing what you're doing. I think people get a bit disappointed when they ask me, like, you know, because, yeah, you're right. Like, I've, I've got hundreds of, of fantastic testimonials, not only pictures of, you know, just the guys I'm working with now. I'm working with about 75 guys at the minute. All fantastic. But you know what? The first place I start with is that get up time. It, it's ridiculously simple. But I think if you're a guy who keeps hitting snooze and, you know, you know that dreaded feeling of not getting out of bed in the morning, like, because we've all been there. It's such a downer to start the day on. Like, I'm big into like, yeah, you don't have to get up at stupid o'clock, but I believe in not hitting the snooze because for me that's saying I don't want to get out of my bed and face the day. Yeah. So I always start, I always say this, I always start at the start. Like what's the first thing we can do? What's the first act of discipline we can show? Well, it's getting yourself out of bed on time or at the time you said you would. So I try and teach that into my guys. And if this means moving their phone so that they can't hit the snooze, because let's face it, if it's a habit, they're just going to do it without thinking. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm all into that. Like, start there. Because if you yeah. can't get yourself out of bed, it's a pretty strong sign that, you know, the discipline just isn't there. It doesn't exist. And fortunately, it's a skill, right? So you can train discipline. You've mentioned yeah. it already. You go from seven to half, six to six. Yeah. You have to train it. But you've got to, you've got to at some stage, go, right, I'm going to fucking change what I do. Um, because, in, yeah, in my opinion, like, who you are is what you do. Like, if you're a... Yeah. If you work hard every day, you're a hard worker. If you train every day, you're a trainer or an athlete. It's it's those basic things, which is probably where my frustration lies, Ryan, with a lot of my content. I get frustrated at guys because I want to boot them up the fucking ass and say, come on, fellas, like you can change your life by doing two or three simple things each day that would make you feel better, give you the confidence to go and do more in life rather than just watch shitty TV all day. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love some of the stuff that Joe Rogan says around this. You know, he talks Joe about Rogan. calming the, the inner bitch, I think it is, or something. <laughs> get the fucking business done. You know, just get out. When your mind's saying, I don't want to train, I'm tired, it's making excuses, just act. Just do it. Just go out and remove the thought and just do it and crack on with it. So, yeah, that starts the day for me is absolutely vital. You know, the alarm goes off, just get up. 
get yourself downstairs, get yourself in the shower, get your coffee. One of the things that really helped me get that energy back, Alex, because I thought at the age of 40, you know, this is about the age of 38, I've got to get used to feeling tired. You know, no amount of sleep seemed the right amount of sleep. Mm -hmm. I've just got to get used to now I'm going to be a tired guy. And I went to um, MMA training over Solihull, and it was late at night. Everyone was buzzing. They all looked really high energy. I thought, you know, they had a pre-workout drink, what's going on? And they introduced me to intermittent fasting. So I started giving that a go, and it gave me such an energy boost. It was unreal. You know, I was up before the alarm. Now, it won't work for everyone, but it showed me that that one thing that I'd never tried, I tried, and it had a profound effect on my life, my energy, there was that knock-on effect to it. So, so yeah, just getting these simple things embedded, giving them a go, and then seeing what effect it has can be it can deliver some amazing results. So, what did you do? Was it sixteen eight? So sixteen is that what you did? Yeah, sixteen hours. Yeah. So sounds pretty harsh, but it's not because what you stop eating at what six pm, seven pm at night. That's it. And yeah. then you just have a late breakfast at ten o'clock, eleven o'clock. That's the one. Yeah, it just stops you snacking at night. You drink plenty of water. You know, people would always say to me, oh, I do that anyway. I miss breakfast. Hang on, you got a cappuccino. you got a coffee with sugar in it. You know, you can have black tea, black coffee, or water. Uh, you yeah. know, and that's good because you've got a bit of caffeine to give you the energy, but it is it's pretty simple. You know, stop eating the right time. You're not snacking. You wake up, you have some some caffeine, some water, and then, bam, you're on it. And it's, you know, there's the science that sits behind it that I can't tell you about. You would understand it more than me. But what I did know is... I was up before the alarm. I had more energy and it set my day up right. That simple practice, that simple change. Yeah, I've been doing something similar. I'm not quite as tight as you are on that. But I think just giving you gut a rest, I realized, and I think most people are the same, we never give our stomach a rest. We never give it a chance to heal or rest or not have to do something. So I actually feel much better when I'm lighter. Again, part of the thing for me was I always wanted to be big and bulky because, again, it was, you know, I wanted the muscle. I wanted that tough look, but I, I don't actually suit that in terms of like my physical energy is so poor when I'm bigger. Um, I feel much better when I'm lean and light and, and not stuffed the food all the time. Cause yeah. I have to eat four, 4,000, 5,000 calories when I'm, when I'm, yeah, I know it's a lot of food, dude. So yeah, it just doesn't suit my stomach. And, uh, and yeah, it, it's, it's not really good, but you touched on an interesting point about like Joe Rogan and stuff. So, I believe that if more men had better role models, so if more men followed you, if more men spent the day listening to Joe Rogan instead of watching some crap on BBC News or whatever it is, they're the kind of men that we want other men to listen to, right? So I know the importance of environment. So if I hang around for 12 months with guys that are into fitness, that are driven, that are disciplined, I will have no alternative, alternative to be what they are. Like I will become them. And it's the same as if I hang around with guys that are bitching about life all the time, eating shit, drinking loads. I am going to turn into that. So who we follow on social media for me is important. Who who you know who we hang around with, what we do, and I think that's the. If I could recommend anybody listening, that's the first thing I'd look at. Like I know you can't just scrap all of like, you know your social circle, but you can control what you start putting in your ears, right, and what you're watching and what you're listening, who you're speaking to. So anyone listening to this, I think this is good stuff to listen to. It's yeah. it, it's decent. It's helpful. And I don't know what you think, but for me, like, it's an amazing place to start. Yeah. 
Yeah, I completely agree. You know, what we absorb through social media, through the TV, you know, it starts to have an effect on us, who we hang around with. Like you said, you made reference to, if you hang around with people with a certain way or belief or view, you know, drinking, smoking, whatever, you're going to fall into that trap because it normalises what what they're doing. And that, that kind of happened to me. So with my addiction, because um, so I said I was, you know, clean and sober 143 days, it became so normal that that lifestyle of drinking drugs. It was, became so usual. It, 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 I became a part of it. And then when I tell people about it, they're like, "That doesn't sound right at all." Like really partying every weekend. I'm like, "Yeah, doesn't everyone do that?" I just gradually became a part of this lifestyle where it was all surrounded by substances. And uh, now I'm away from that. I'm surrounding myself with the right people, the right supports. It, 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 it can bring you on. It has a positive effect on you. It inspires you. You want, you want to be the best version of you you can be because you're surrounded by these inspirational people and absorbing and following the right people as well. What age were you started to drink and, and take drugs? Uh, it was 18. It was a, a holiday to Ibiza. So I went. Quite a late to, starter then. What's that? Quite a late starter. Quite a late starter, yeah. 18, yeah. 18, went to Ibiza. I'd never even smoked. And I found this whole new realm of drinking, drugs, and partying. I was supposed to be there two weeks. I stayed four months. I got my mum <laughs> to sell my apartment and wire the money over. And I lived over there for four months on the post. That's some party, bro. That's some fucking oh, party, four months horrific yeah you can imagine the state i was in when i got back you know yeah, kind of, yeah. it was um so yeah it was quite a late start but i um sadly hit it quite hard yeah here's the scary thing i love being pissed i fucking love it it's yeah, it, yeah absolutely at the time the hangovers now cripple me for days like yeah. they're so bad that now i choose not to drink as much i'll probably drink once every four six weeks just a few drinks but yeah the hangovers i don't know if it's an age thing or what but shit the depression that hits me i feel like i'm wasted my life like the next day even if i've done nothing wrong and trust me there's been nights where i've done some stupid things but like even if i have a nice like a uh, good drink with my, my family or whatever even the next day there's an air of guilt around me that follows me around like i've done something terrible so i'm just like yeah that, that lifestyle is not for me anymore but when you're actually pissed my god it's fucking i don't i've never touched drugs i don't need them because alcohol for me yeah it's amazing Nothing stresses me out when I'm pissed. There's no financial stress. I don't feel depressed. I don't feel anxious. I just feel on top of the world, confident, fun. I love being pissed, but yeah, I don't go there anymore, dude. Yeah, they call that anxiety. You know, that feeling you get the next day where you're like, I've said something wrong. You know, yeah. a person messaging me back and and it's uh, it's horrible, isn't it? That feeling you get. It's like, I've never done, but yeah, I can't even drink now. You know, I'm an I'm an I'm an addict. If I have if I have one drink, it ain't one. I've got no defence. I'm ending up on a three day bender, naked in some place in Eastern Europe, and going, "What the fuck <laughs> just happened to me?" Start. I can't ever drink or use ever again because I'm a yeah. Fool. And let's face it, you know, if you, for family and if you've got a partner and stuff, you just can't behave like that anymore. Mm-hmm. It's you know, it's the kind of thing that I would happily give up going out and getting pissed. You know, if I settled down, just just I want to be in control of my own behaviour, basically, and when you get to a certain point with alcohol, you no longer become in control of your actions, right? Or at least I don't, just being a fucking idiot. Um, so it, it's one of those things. So yeah, mate, I'm kind of with you. In fact, I've I've been, I, I do this. I sometimes think of a challenge and then eventually I'll do it. But the whole one year with no alcohol is really calling out to me at the minute. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, 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 I think so. What, I, I, yeah, I think it would be good. I don't think it'd be that difficult if I'm honest. Once, once, once you put your mind to it, I think it'd be fine. It's just, 
what else do you do in that year? Like for me, I'd have to do something pretty exciting. Like I'd want to get into either the best shape of my life or build my business a bit more or, you know, read just something. I don't like taking things out of my life without putting something in. Yeah. But you can resonate with that. Yeah. It's like, like you said, when you take away the booze and the drugs, like, well, you need something as a coping mechanism. You went to meditation and and obviously daily habits and other things or training. So yeah, I always think like that. Like if I'm taking something out, what good can I put in? Yeah, brilliant. That's it. You know, set a different goal. I'm removing this. So what am I going to do with this year? And um, I think for me as well, I, I enjoy an ice cold beer, you know, like a summer's day. I love so that. I switch to non-alcoholic beer and it has the same effect. You get that ice cold drink. You feel like you're a part of the social situation. And um, I just found it like switching to that. I wasn't really missing out. I didn't really like being drunk because it meant trouble often. So, um, so yeah, still a way you can appreciate a beer just what, not what do you drink what do you drink what what watch what, what, non-alcoholic beer any of them, yeah. any of them they're, they're pretty advanced now i don't know what you mean, right age. i'm a bit older than you but i think it was back in the day there was this horrific non-alcoholic beer that just tastes like piss yeah I'm yeah, was it caliber uh, fucking horrible didn't taste yeah. like beer at all it's like cat piss but now yeah. they taste the same so it's yeah. you know switch to that yeah, beer. there's a Heineken Zero. There's um, what else is there? I think a Cobra Zero. There's some decent ones yeah, that, are, yeah. that are fine, mate. So, so they're yeah. all good fun. So, um, if anyone wants to find out more about you, then I've just flashed the Instagram handle at the bottom. Uh, they can check you out on Instagram. You got a, a, a good following in there. By the way, dude, social media. I'm such a hypocrite because obviously I do my, like we're on social media now. I do my business on there. I'd say that is my biggest battle right now. Just con- like I- I'm on there a lot to promote what I do, but I don't want to be on there. Like I, I see the necessity of it, yeah. but I don't feel comfortable being on social media. How do you manage your time on there? And, you know, you've got a message to get out there. People need to, to hear from you. How do you handle your social media usage and so on? Like what, what are your strategies for it? It's hard, like you. I don't really, you know, like being on social media a lot. I, you know, I love the kind messages, the kind comments, but it's consumed so much of my time during lockdown. You know, too much of my time. Um, so I just have to really monitor that. You know, I've got blue light that submit from devices has a real effect on my sleep. So I try not to go on a couple of hours before I want to get my head down. That way, I can get up the next day. You know, those behaviours we're talking about, getting up early. Um, and I'll just try to recognize when I'm, you know, mindlessly scrolling. If I'm picking that phone up to go on social media, I need to be posting, I need to be supporting, I need to be reaching out. If I'm just scrolling through, I'll check that behavior and just cast it aside and just try not to spend too much time each day on it. You know, I might give myself an hour where in that hour I'm working, I'm on social media, I'm to post, I'm going to reach out and reply to messages. And then I'm going to, I'm going to put it away. I don't even have the notifications on because even that, that little hit of dopamine, you get a, you get a beep or a ping. Oh, dopamine. Let me check that. It can be that repetitiveness. So I'll set the time when I'm on it and I'll put it aside when I'm not and just be really disciplined with that. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. I um I haven't had the app on my phone for a long time now, the Facebook app. So I just do everything on the laptop. Mm-hmm. And then on Instagram I'll post and then just delete the app because it only takes twenty seconds to reinstall the app and everything's there as it was. So yeah, I can't you know, I'm a disciplined guy, but when the notifications are pinging off all day and 
it's there. Like you say, habit. Like you're just going to go on it as disciplined and as much willpower as you've got. So people can find you on Voice for Mental Health. Is there anywhere else they can check out more about your business, Mind Health Solutions? Yeah, yeah. If they go to the page www.mindhealthsolutions.co.uk, they can reach out on there, inquire about the training. Uh, and like I said, if you're an NHS worker, a care worker, anyone that's been fantastically supportive for this nation during the pandemic then i'll train you for free you know let me let me give something back so just reach out let us know what you need mate what a guy i think once this video has ended if you can go on to the uh to the videos on the pages and put the link out hopefully we can get some some people sponsoring you i certainly will myself i think you're doing a fantastic thing um firstly i just want to say thank you for for doing this podcast i know the timing Obviously, you know, it's a bit bit of a strange timing for you this week. Uh, but you said, look, I want to speak about it while it's, you know, it's happened. It's real, yeah. you know. So I really, really respect you for that. And um, I hope people follow you and listen to you because I think you're a great example. And coming from, like I say, from a cage fighter, from somebody who looks like a fucking tough nut, you know, I think it's more powerful hearing it from somebody like yourself who's so brave and, and tough in in the aspect of talking about this stuff so yeah right i really respect you i'm so glad to get you on this podcast i followed you for a long time this is the first time we've spoke properly so it's it been an absolute yeah. honor mate i think you're, a, you're yeah you're a top guy mate Hey, I really appreciate your kind words. I really do. I've got a lot of respect and love for you, Alex. And I'm going to say it in return. Like, I think I found you first. I was like, this guy makes sense, what he does, what he talks about, how he does it. Um, so equally, massive respect for you, man. And, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to come on and just share my lived experience. Let's hope someone hears it and it, and it helps It helps them, supports them. So uh, keep cool. doing what you do as well as you do, man. A lot of love, a lot of respect. Thank you, brother. Good luck with your fight. Thanks, bro. Oh, man. Take Thanks care. for coming on. Cheers, Ryan. Thank you. Bye-bye.